What's up, everybody? Welcome back to The Highway with Kyle Shutt. I am so stoned. This week, we have a damn treat for y'all. We're talking with somebody you may never heard of, but somebody you need to know. His name is Mr. Tim Sweetwood. I met him as the talent buyer at a club in Atlanta called The Masquerade. This this episode is just going to be dedicated to Atlanta. Could we all agree that the world would not be the same if it wasn't for that wonderful city? Uh, shout out to everyone at The Masquerade, Tim's old crew and everybody, Renee, Mallory, every, they always took such good care of us. I love that venue, love that city. And I love all of our patrons that signed up at patreon.com slash the highway to help us keep this show going. Big shout outs to Rocky Moon, Mr. Mike Jones, who? Mike Jones. I bet you get that all the time. Sorry, bud. And Mr. Adam Johnson, they signed up for the Patreon at at least a $2 level to get yourself a shout out on the show at $5. You can get early access to next week's episodes. You can also get a postcard in the mail from me just to thank you for hopping on board or even help me put a six pack in the fridge because you know how I likes my beer. We also got to give a big old hug to Heil Sound, our sponsors. If you like the way I sound, it's because there's a Heil in front of me. Now, I could give shout outs and love all day long, but I'd rather talk to Tim about all the crazy festivals that he promotes and all the just insane, you know, ridiculous adventures that we got into over the years. And uh, so let's go ahead and hop into it. My way. The Highway. Hey, what's up, buddy? How are you, sir? Tim Sweetwood, everybody, from Shaky Knees, Shaky Beats, uh, See Here Now, Innings, massive, massive festival promoter and organizer. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the program today. I really appreciate you, bud. Yeah, definitely. Always good to talk to you, and, uh, and thanks thanks for uh, the shout-out, and let's dig into some fun stuff, huh? Yeah, um, I, I know uh, it's mostly musicians that I bring on this program, but I also love bringing in uh, record producers, um, music company owners and just all kinds of uh, people from all different aspects of the music industry to sort of, uh, you know, uh, shine a little light on uh, what goes into these things. And in your case, uh, massive, massive festivals uh, and stuff like that. But before we jump into that, I kind of wanted to get into um, our history and, and how I met you, uh, which was when you were a talent buyer at the Masquerade in Atlanta. And, um, yeah, I, I I always thought you were the talent buyer that bought our shows, but you weren't. You were just a fan, and you were the nicest fucking dude, and you always just made sure we had plenty of beer backstage and just, like, took care of us from day one. I I, I knew you were going places, and uh, <laughs> so I just, I wanted to know, like, how you got into um, promoting shows and uh, what, um, what sparked that passion in your life. Sure, no problem. I mean, so, well, the... The front side's a little boring, so we'll, we'll try to fast forward through some of that. But, you know, I I came out of college, worked for a corporation and, and just, just a general business thing. And just after being at that for a couple of years, it was just really weighing on me and didn't drive me personally. So, um, you know, and I should have figured it on, out earlier in life that I should have just been in the music world because that's what drove me. And whether it was a friend asking where the hell should I go or what new band did I listen to? So... I started out at the bottom, like most of us, and was literally throwing parties and booking local bands and stuff. And then I found the opportunity to book local bands at the Masquerade. And so when I got in with the Masquerade, which is a venue in Atlanta that's been around forever, 
um, you know, quickly I was able to, you know, fill different holes they had, whether it was, you know, bringing in more national acts that were outside of the genres they traditionally did, or, you know, even working on sponsorships or helping, you know, hire employees, you name it. So as I eased more into that, you know, business, I was able to take on even more of the talent buyer role, if you will, and again, curating bigger pieces. So that's kind of like the real quick and dirty of the background of where it came to be. And then, you know, you asked about us. I mean, that that's just kind of my style, I would say. I mean, it's probably countless with the number of bands that have slept on my couch over the years or, you know, all that kind of stuff where what I laugh at is, you know, you know, you're doing the right thing when the band comes through town and they ask how your dog's doing it. Cause it means maybe, maybe a couple <laughs> years ago, they, they, they slept on the couch with your dog as well, you know? So it's that, you know, I think that's for me, like not getting too sappy. It's like, it's just kind of what I enjoy and what I drive and how much more fun is it to say like, okay not only a band that you like respect their music and you're you're playing it on your ipads coming to town but that's also my friend right so um and i think a lot of those friendships came too was granted like back in the day when just like any other entrepreneurial world which i really think the music world is entrepreneurial at the end of the day is that's where i was spending my time man you know i wasn't i was at the there were many years where i was at the venue six or seven days out of the week so if i'm there and i'm working it's like you know when you came through two or three times a year it's like i'm seeing you more than i did college buddies at that point Right. You know, so so it makes it it, it's that connection or friendship, like you said. And then, you know, most of these musicians have some like they're like minded people. Right. Like they're playing music because they're into music. They're not playing music because it's like they were forced to into it or their parents were like, hey, I want you to to major in musical studies in college. I really think that's where you succeed. It's like they're into it because they want to be, you know. That's a really good point. And uh, wouldn't that be a, a world where you're expected to become a musician? <laughs> right. Or like, or like, hey, man, I, I got an idea for you, Tim. Like, my dad's going to come to me and he's like, so for five or six years, you're going to eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches only and you're really going to struggle. But God, it'll be great in the long run. You know what I mean? Right. So. Yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> well, the, the, the venue, the masquerade, the original one, um, which was, was that in Little Five Points or it was kind of around there? Uh, no, it's technically like Midtown, Ponzi Highlands, like Little Five Points oh, okay. is where like Variety Playhouse was and the old point and oh, stuff okay. like that. Yeah. Yeah. But but you could walk there. I, yes. I just remember I yes. was, like taking a walk down there from time to time. But it was a... You was remember old... taking walks to the Claremont Lounge. Let's be honest. Oh, let's absolutely. Honest. Yeah, we're... we're... We're gonna get into that later, but uh, but 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 the the venue itself, um, you know, it had a, a little stage, a, a medium sized stage, a big stage, a big outdoor lawn, and then also had like the the machine shop in the back of it because it wasn't like an old mill or something like that. So and, uh, the the shop behind it actually majority of the years was actually a factory for mellow mushrooms. So it made dough. It was like their pizza whoa. dough factory for all the mellow Crazy. mushrooms in I Atlanta. Yeah, and then once they moved out. Uh, the masquerade just kind of turned it into different things, and yeah, was I was gonna say because you you always uh, walked us through the haunted house. That's right, that's right. Uh, yeah, uh, and that man, that was the most brutal haunted house <laughs> I've ever been to in my life. <laughs> Holy shit, man! Like, oh my god, not so for the faint of heart, you know? No, not at all. Um, almost as scary as the Claremont Lounge. 
Uh, <laughs> all, all, almost, you know, you, you couldn't, you couldn't, uh, you couldn't consume a beer in the haunted house, but you could consume a beer at, at, at you know, the Claremont Lounge. So, oh man, uh, for those that don't know, the Claremont Lounge um, is what was known as the stripper's graveyard. I, I guess that was the maybe a, not the politest term for it, but uh, there wasn't any dancer in there that was under 55 that's uh, that's pretty, pretty darn accurate that's pretty darn accurate yeah back, back in the day anyway i don't know if it's been kind of yuppified since then or anything but um it was just a place to party after the shows where it was anything went and uh i just i had way too many nights there way too many way too many <laughs> nights but i'll tell you what like it was definitely one of those watering holes where it's you know, the majority of the time you knew 90% of the people in there or whatever right. it was. And, you know, for being as dive bar as it gets, it really is a pretty cool, friendly place of memories for sure. So I, uh, hopefully I can put a whole chapter in the book dedicated to it. There. <laughs> um, I, 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 just I knew the, it was just for real. The, just leave the pictures out of that chapter. All right. No, yeah, no, no exactly, pictures yeah. in that chapter. <laughs> I knew it was a legit place, uh, a legit dive whenever uh, Anthony Bourdain wrote about it. That's right. Uh, in a book he wrote That's called right. the nasty bits. I was like, Hey, I've been there. That's right. Uh, That's but right. yeah, that was funny. But, um, but then eventually, um, you outgrew the masquerade, or I don't know if uh, I, I, I mean, I'm sure you still have ties out, there or something. Yeah, but you started to do festivals. Yeah, there's a lot of ties there. I mean, out outgrew is a um, I don't know if that's the best summary, but it's not way off. So like, Shaky Knees, which was the first festival I ever like produced and owned. Um, was still during my time at the masquerade and you know that came along when they actually put a they took away the parking lot that went with the masquerade and some old dilapidated buildings and there was a park that went in there so for me being a festival junkie it made a lot of sense to do a festival and that's where it kind of came along so that it became i was producing the festival and then i was just doing a lot more shows outside of the masquerade than i was producing inside so that was that natural post so i guess you could say i outgrew it for sure i mean it went as far as i was you know producing outcast shows right and downtown in the park so definitely can't hold those in a venue the size no, of the masquerade. no bad blood though right no 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 no. my uh I, I have partner my the the principal owner there and stuff like that is still a partner of mine and we do some business together so zero bad blood you know i i think they were very appreciative for the masquerade has had some tremendously great years but then they've also had downswings and i was there i came in in one of those downswings and, and brought a certain you know cred back to it for certain genres and i think they're very happy with that so it was the cool club in town. I, I can tell you that much. Anytime I saw it on a tour routing, I knew I was going to have a fantastic time and uh, I knew that we were going to party and it was always a great time. And whenever that, whenever you made the jump uh, from yeah booking our shows there to having us on at your festivals, you really did take that mentality uh, of how you treated bands and you applied that to your festival. I've played a lot of festivals and got treated like shit at a lot of them. Not, not going to lie, but um, you always made sure every band had everything they needed, had uh, really nice backstage kind of patio areas to hang out at. You, you really have attention to detail and, and watching you go through all that was really inspiring because I remember when you moved Shaky Knees from the park to the, um, the Olymp was it the Olympic Park? Yeah, was it was an Olympic like, Park, and then like you know, shutting down streets around the arena downtown. It, yep. it was that yep. whenever the, the police told you that you couldn't 
hold a festival at this park because you couldn't have that much street traffic going over. I remember you thinking like, well, can I just build a fucking bridge over the road? That's it, man. And, there, and, you, and you did. Yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that story's fun. There's a lot of stories about that bridge. But yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was basically it. The, there was a new police chief in town. And he's like, you know what? There's enough traffic there that I don't really want to shut down that street. And I was like, you know what? Fair enough. I'm going to build a bridge that goes over it. And then at that point, there was no reason they couldn't say no to that. So it's like, hey. whatever works and I'll go but you know back you pointed out that thing is like again not only do I enjoy taking care of bands there's also another reason for it funny enough is like you and you could probably say it as a musician is like you can't you don't put on the same show every night right and one of the reasons you put on better shows or worse shows is probably how you're feeling in a certain day or the vibe around there it's it's less of like Mm -hmm. it's less of like you know did your guitar tech put the string on you know exactly how you like it i think it's more just like that ethereal vibe so it's like if you go into a festival and you're like okay we're going to play at sweetwoods this is going to feel good and he's going to take care of us and when normally i'm at a festival and they want to they're saying no to my bottle of tequila but i say yes to it because it's just like you know it makes you feel at home and i think it creates a better performance and so that's the other alternate reason it's like there there's a method behind that madness for sure it's like i want you to feel good because then you're going to play a raging set you know but you uh i you're you're being so modest dude because like just from this is this is anecdotal maybe but from our experience when you had us play um the shaky knees once it had moved to the olympic park um you also had the shaky nights where you would have you know the band a, a band play a big you know daytime festival show and then you would also bring them into a, uh, one of the the clubs uh later that night and you had booked Huey Lewis and the news playing sports in its entirety and you knew like what huge fans we were and when you reached out to book us uh, for that festival, we, we were like, can we please play the same day as Huey Lewis? And, and you were like, guys, I love you, but Huey's on the day after you. There's nothing I can do about it. But what can I what I can do is I'll make your shaking nights uh, the, the day of the Huey show. And I'll make sure that it's till way after, you know, uh, or that he's done after, you know, you guys need to go on at your club show. And, and you went above and beyond. You uh, had us. I think it was just me and Brian that were able to make it, but yeah, you had us on the side of the stage watching Huey Lewis in the news with a pig roast uh, barbecue to celebrate afterwards, and then uh, shoved us in an Uber and sent us over to uh, center stage to play our night show. I mean, like, no, there's not a festival promoter in the world that will listen to a band and accommodate them the way that you accommodated us, and I will never forget you for well, it. Well, so I agree. I'll, I'll quit kissing your ass now. But no, I just wanted to I say agree. thank you. So I greatly much, appreciate man. it, and it's like let let's be honest. anybody any anybody out there that doesn't like Huey Lewis in the news too really kind of has to check themselves <laughs> at, at, at least from like our age demographic, right? So it's like at least if oh if, if you were born in the seventies, eighties, maybe even the tail end of the sixties, you know, I could get it if you're younger and you don't get it. But it's like if you don't like Huey Lewis in the news, are we honestly friends? Like we. we you know, you, it, it was the the original band too. It was the oh, fucking yeah. news. Oh yeah, the whole and thing. Yeah, you know that the funny story about that, which is a, one of my favorite stories, was um, I always try to book a few throwbacks on the festival because I think Shaky Knees in particular, it's like it's a bit of a tastemaker to it. So a lot of the modern day bands that are playing it. I like to go grab a couple of those bands that are influenced by, you know, hence this Huey Lewis news, which you were just as excited to see, just as excited you were to play your set there. 
Um, but I actually got a personal call from him before the confirmation of the festival because him and his manager were worried that like if he played this contemporary quote unquote contemporary rock festival that like no one would be at his set. So I got cold called by Huey. Um, you know, from a San Francisco number and thank God I answered it. And he just wanted me to justify, oh, there'll be people there. And I like, I took it as far as to say, not only do I think there'll be people there, there may be more people there for your set than the headliner, but you know, let's not go all the way there. But um, it's pretty cool. That man. field was full. Yeah, that was yeah, that field packed, was full. And there, there's one of the things that, you know, gets me off at the end of the day to book a childhood influence and do it at the end of the day is pretty awesome. And he, and by the way, he's cool as shit in person and totally chill and hung around for the whole day at the festival too. I so. was, uh, I didn't, I didn't get to meet him, but uh, whenever I stand on the side of the stage to watch a band, I try to be as respectful as possible. I know what that feels like, you know, uh, when it's, it's, it's their space for that time, you know, and I don't want to, you know, me personally, when I'm playing a show, I like the more the merrier. I like when a ton of people crowd around, but not every band is like that. And so I try to be very respectful and stuff. And so I always try to pick the side of the stage that I think that the artist isn't going to enter on because I don't, you know, I don't want to be a hanger on and just try to like get a photo op or anything like that. But I usually end up picking wrong. And uh, <laughs> I, 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 I accidentally picked the side of the stage that Huey uh, came up on and he walked right by me. And I, I was like, ah, shit, man, I don't want to, you know, because I've been kicked off the stage before, like when Slash is playing or something like that. Sure. And somebody asked you to leave and hey, fine, whatever. You know, it's not a big deal. I get it. But uh, but Huey kind of like stopped and looked around and like he turned and looked at me, looked me dead in my eyes. And then kind of kept looking around at other people and, and then kept walking to the stage. And I was like, he thinks I'm cool. All right, this is great. He thinks I'm supposed to do be. You, I was going to say, do you think he was thinking you were some uh, long-haired blonde hippie? Or did he think you were a musician? Like, what do you, what do you think he thought there, you know? I, I don't know. I love I it. don't care. I'm just glad I didn't get kicked off. My uh, man, I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Very cool. Also, instead of a, instead of a golf cart, uh, uh, which is how most people get around festivals, you actually have a miniature uh, grave digger monster truck uh, that you use to get around. That, yeah. <laughs> Is it the grave digger? Right? Yeah, it's it's currently uh, out of commission, uh, but yeah, and unfor- oh. unfortunately it only holds one, so we we need to get that fired back up. That's something I need to do. It only needs one, let's be honest. That's right, and it's like, what, <laughs> the best part about it is with as tall as I am, you know, I think it's meant for a kid to sit in there, but I think my chest <laughs> is sticking out of the top, so... You know, again, the the, oh the many God. the many perks of producing and putting on your own festival, right? Right, right. Well, uh, and let, let's talk about that, man. So, I mean, your average uh, festival goer uh, in in the before times, in the in the long long ago, uh, you know they they don't really know what goes into that. They just see you know all of a sudden this insane lineup, and then you know these you know relatively expensive tickets. But for what you get to see, it's it's really not all that much. And sure, you got to pay for parking or maybe even camping or, or, or this or that and it's, it is you know somewhat of a hassle to get in and out of a giant festival but it is an enormous uh load of work uh planning an event like that um what, what kind of insight do you have to to your average concert goer that um would just think that you just call a bunch of bands and book a festival and sell tickets and that's it yeah i think that you know it, it's First of all, I think it compares to like most people's jobs, right? So I, I don't want to, I don't want to downplay it because it is a ton and a shitload of work, and you know, it generally like, you know, especially when I when I start one from scratch. I mean, it's it's pretty much about a two and a half year venture to start like, and we can get into some of that exit one eleven talk. But it's like, you know, when you start it from concept to fruition, it's it's you know two and a half two years to to get those things going. 
Um, but just like most people's jobs, yeah, there is a lot more that goes into it. There's day to day, there's, you know, legality, all that kind of stuff. And I think one of the hardest parts that people don't realize half the time is, you know, you get it all over social media these days is, man, why haven't you had Radiohead on, on shaky knees and all that kind of stuff or whatever it is. And it's like, you know, we could just use that as an example is, sure. you know, Radiohead on shaky knees is like a lot of people don't understand, uh, you know, the bigger a band gets, the more they're working versus non-working. So for people that aren't in the industry, it's like Radiohead is probably a big enough band where it's like from a touring perspective, they work once every four years, right? You know, or something like yeah. that. So it's like once you get to that level, it's like, okay, I don't even have a shot at booking Radiohead most years as a headliner for the festival. And then the year that I do finally book them is I'm trying to say, okay, shaky knees, it's the first weekend of May. Hey guys, are you available any of these three particular days on the one year that you're working when you're trying to tour around the world? So that percentage is even smaller and smaller. And then then you get into the competitive side of like, okay, X festival in California once in the same weekend. I'm on them the same weekend so then you're trying to compete and get to it so it's like it really is a long drawn out process at the end of the day right um kind of like you said so there's so much more that goes into it or again even the percentage to try to actually get the band let alone do you even have the funds to get the band you know i'm sure people can imagine uh, just like inflation band prices go up scarcity of those bands go up over time so it's it's long and drawn out and sometimes i don't even have the chance to book who i want you know what, what's your dream band Oof. That's a that's a that's a question that happens a lot. I you know, I'd probably in which may never happen, I'd be pretty close to say like I feel like personally I had some I've missed. Okay. I'll go with the one that I missed is Rush. I missed out on that. Oh. I missed out on that one. So that would probably be a dream band that I missed. Another yeah. dream band that could be attainable. It's just you know, whether the stars align is like maybe like an REM. You know, or something like that oh, is. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. They're yeah. they're pretty close to that dream scenario. And again, now especially because they're quote That's not quote too far not, off. I'm I mean, not working. But hey, I'm in Georgia with that festival, and maybe there's maybe there's a little hometown like, you know, love. Yeah. You know. Uh huh. So totally. Yeah. Uh, Good question, though. Man. Well, y- you never know, um, and uh, and I don't want to. This podcast isn't about talking shit or dragging anybody through the mud or anything like that. And you don't have to name names, but what's. Uh, What's the horror story? Is there a horror story you wouldn't mind sharing? You, you can, yeah, leave the names out. Unless you really don't care and you want to blast. <laughs> no. Are, are you talking about like band, like from a band perspective or just in general yeah, with a, a band festival? Yeah, was going to or... be cool and it turned out to be just total fucking dicks. Um, like, is there, I don't know if there's any story that you just... I mean, you're so nice. Everybody probably really likes you and they're really like respectful of you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I appreciate that. Um I'll tell you one story, which is pretty, which is pretty funny, and it's not, it, it's good because it won't run somebody under the bus per se. Um, so I've, for some reason, as much as like I'm a rock guy, that's that's the way it is at the end of the day, and I respect mm-hmm. all genres. I love classical jazz, and I love old school hip hop and all that. But I'm rock at the end of the day, and I I had all that self discovery as a kid. I didn't have an older brother or sister telling me what to listen to. Uh-huh. So for some reason. 
I fucking hate Green Day, right? Like, I just don't <laughs> like Green Day. And it's like, I'm like, so like, I've had people, like, oh, put Green Day on your festival. And I'm like, cool. Like, you know, I don't know. I'd rather have like a cooking seminar up on there than booking, you know, Green Day. I just don't <laughs> like Green Day. So, but funny enough, uh, you know, I think it was 2006, was it 16 or 17? 16, 2016. I booked the replacements, right? And the replacements were on the festival and they were actually an oh, added yeah. band. Well, one of my favorite bands, too. Yeah, I fucking love that. Totally band so underrated much. band, right? Uh, Billy Joe Armstrong sitting in. So it's like I get this call where they're like, hey, Billy Joe's coming through. He wants some extra guests, whatever. And, you know, again, never meeting these guys or whatever. I'm like, well, I fucking hate Green Day. Will you deny his passes? Like, I don't want him at the festival. I don't like Green Day, whatever, right? So, oh of course, being like you said, I'm not uh, I'm not a, a dick when it comes down to it like that. So I'm like, yeah, of course he can come. And yes, he should be at the festival. Well, then, of course, the day they play, unbeknownst to me and not that anyone told him, they're like, I get a call on the radio and they're like, hey, the replacement guys and Billy Joe want to see you and all this kind of shit. And I go in their dressing room and he Billy Billy Joe couldn't have been a nicer guy. Like it was one of those things where it was like he was like, hey, man, I just want to thank you for letting us play your festival. It's so cool. We've been well taken care of. We're just going to have a great set up there. All that kind of stuff. Like, are there any particular songs you even want us to put on your set? And like, oh, my and it's God. like it makes your stomach kind of sink because you're like, man, should I tell him that I've never liked his band? I should just be like, you know, should I have never liked it? So it's like it's funny how the world works where it's just like a band that and don't get me wrong. I respect them. I've just never been into their music. Music. And so, but here yeah. it is, he comes through and it's like, wouldn't it have gone over better if I didn't like the band and he was also a huge asshole, but he was completely, <laughs> he was completely opposite. So he was completely opposite. So, oh my God. yeah, the, the, so. the only downplay and I won't use names is the only downplay I'll say with bands is sometimes bands can get too big, too quick. And that leads to them being kind of more nitpicky and a little more arrogant than they should be. That's the only uh, that's the only thing I'll say is knock on wood. Uh, you know, most bands I meet musicians are very welcoming and they're cool and they work hard and they get it. But a lot of bands that rise to some of that prominence too quickly are like, OK, well, now we want this. And it's like, really, dude, you know what I mean? So yeah. there's some of that. I've for seen sure. it happen. You know, there's, every band has a different experience. So I've, I've seen many, many sides of it. And um, the, 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 the faster they rise, the faster they fall sometimes. But uh, sometimes a band will just, yeah, get straight to the top and just stay there. And it blows my mind um, how people can just, yeah, like this garbage. But uh, right. <laughs> I don't want to focus on the negative. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you is, you know, uh, Shaky Knees was, you know, very successful. I, I don't know about behind the scenes, but just from an outsider's point of view, a very, very successful festival. And it, yeah, it started branching you out into other festivals. Um, was that all under your same partnership umbrella or is that a kind of thing where people see you kind of, you know, cooking and they want to get in some of that action? So, cause you started doing see here now and innings and it was just all kinds of like amazing festivals with, uh, just every band or every genre of music just under the sky pretty much yeah and i want to continue doing more of that so you'll hold there's a lot of stuff i can't reveal and hopefully you know covid gets out of the way sooner rather than later but um yeah, yeah so like a lot of those first couple things of shaky boots shaky knees all that kind of stuff um 
they I had I had had some guys who became my friends and now are my partners and things like that at C3 Presents and they had bought into my company um, and actually bought the majority of it. So one of the great things with that was I was able to expand quicker than just doing it myself because I'm definitely one of those people that like I don't I don't come from money and I didn't have a big bank or anything to do this. So there was a lot of like risk in the beginning. So. Um, that joining them and having them purchase over half my company was a good way for me to expand quicker and do some of these things um, and being able to take a little more risk. Because another thing, and you pointed out that people have no idea, is like some festival can seem wildly successful, but it's losing a lot of money behind the scenes. And a lot of these festivals take years. Some, some you get lucky and they, by year two, they're making money. Others can take five to six years to make money and some can never make money, you know? So more often than not, when you see a festival go away, it's just because financially it's not doing great. So, Mm -hmm. um, it's, uh, it's unfortunate when it happens. Um, but, um, Kind of like Exit 111, which uh, we can talk about if you want. Yeah. Um, the, the only the only thing I had to say about that was um, whenever the sword went on its uh, indefinite hiatus, um, I actually it, it was really crazy planning because I had already announced, uh, or I mean, I'm sorry, I, I had already planned a Doom Side of the Moon tour, which was my Pink Floyd heavy metal cover band laser show experience. Um, and, uh, I'd also planned, which please don't uh, ever retire that my, by the way, that's the, the, I'm, that's I'm the not, best not, shit ever. And just for those I, listening, I if there's that. anybody even listening more than a couple people, it's like, we really tried to do a late night shaking knees with that. And we should revisit that at some time. That would be I cool. Know, shit. We, we really should. Yeah. Oh, totally. But, um, but that, and I had also already planned my solo album Kickstarter. So whenever the sword announced its hiatus, that really came out of nowhere, but I already had this other stuff planned to announce and it seemed like a knee jerk reaction, but really I had already planned it out and, uh, and stuff. So whenever I did the solo album Kickstarter, it, it, you know, worked out and I did the, did the album, did the tour and it just kind of became, you know, uh, very apparent to me that, you know, it was going to be a struggle to get this solo career you know, on the road and, and stuff like that and playing shows might not be the, um, the, the best way to go about it. And I was just going to have to really like start to think about different ways to do it. And uh, I really wanted to, to get on a festival. That was just one of my big things was I was like, you know, if, if I could just get this band on a festival, it'd be a good look. It doesn't even have to be a great show. Sometimes, you know, you, you play a festival at noon and, and uh, you play to like five people, you know, but, but your name's on that poster and it looks crazy. And it's almost like sometimes when you play a festival, it's not about the people at the festival. It's about all the people that aren't there. And it's like, it, it creates this perception, uh, of your worth and stuff. And so, you know, I had in my mind, like, I, I need to get on a festival. It'll be a good look. And, uh, I, I called you up out of nowhere and, um, I, I, I did, I called a few people, uh, a few festival promoters that I know, and, um, none of them returned my call. You, uh, I think within five minutes of me asking you if you had anything going on that you think I would be a good fit for, your reply wasn't even a reply. It was a contract to play the Exit 111 Festival. That was your reply. And I will never forget uh, your generosity there. You, um, you you paid me more than fairly. It was a, a great slot. You had me, you know, um, I, I wasn't up against Slayer or anything like that. You know, it was a good time. It was a, a solid band. We had such a great time playing it. And there was a lot of people there, too. I mean, we had a... Um, a great show. I know that that festival um, went away, and uh, unfortunately, but it's it's one of those things where I, I it was at the same grounds as Bonnaroo was at, so it was kind of like a heavy metal Bonnaroo in Manchester, Tennessee, uh, with like Guns N' Roses headlining and Anthrax and Slayer's last show ever. So you know, on paper, it looked like a 
a, a solid sell. Um, but uh, I've definitely uh, seen shows at, at that main field where, like, I, we saw Metallica, you know, play there to 80,000 people. And whenever Guns N' Roses went on that night, I, I mean, there was a shitload of people there, don't get me wrong, but I could tell that it, it just wasn't near enough people to justify that kind of festival setup. And um, that that might be one of those you know, instances where like, it looks way better than it is behind the scenes. Is that something you'd want to comment on or anything yeah, like that? Yeah, like look, we talking about earlier? yeah, sure. I mean, it, look, um, funny enough, like, well, and a was happy to have you on the festival. It's super cool. And again, that's what you want. You, you want friends on the festival too, right? Like, um, yeah. I made many new friends, funny enough that, that, uh, festival too, it, it, those, so hopefully those friendships will continue too. But, you know, it, a lot of, I I was always anxious to do something in that scene because I, I don't I don't know what the description would be. I don't I wouldn't say like a closet metal fan or something. It's just a genre I love and a genre that's in. But I think some of the times too, I wanted I wanted to blend what's there and do obvious things like, you know, that uh-huh. that some people would be like, Why the hell did you do that? But it works. Like I got a ton of shit when the when the lineup came out where people are like, wait a minute. So you're putting Leonard Skinner and Slayer on the same stage back to back. And I'm like, yeah, I am. And so a lot of those, <laughs> a lot of those initial comments were like, that sounds stupid. But then overwhelming the comments were like, man, that is going to be cool. So you're telling me Slayer is going to warm up for Leonard Skinner and it's going to be, it was fucking cool, yeah, man. and it's going to be their last Tennessee show ever. And it's like, yeah, it is. And it's like, okay, well I'll be there. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, so stuff like that is really cool. And funny enough, it's even though it did not perform financially how it should, it's still easily right now is like one of my favorite festivals I've ever produced because I'm very into like it's one thing where the music is obvious, but I like all the extra elements that go along with it. Right. So, I mean, we had a. We had a, this thing called Paranormal Cirque, which is like a haunted house meets Cirque du Soleil. And we had a, so a cool. bike jump and we started off the days with a car show. And we had, you know, a 300 foot college bar that had all the football games on and just, you know, all kinds of different cool shit like that going on. And funny enough, it's meant to grow. So, you know, that's, you know, Bonnaroo, you know, because it does those 80,000 people a day. Um, you know that's what it's built for and the expectations were not 80,000 people a day so there was you know I won't give you the exact amount but there was certainly more than 15,000 people there a day but there wasn't 40,000 people there a day right so to your point those headlining sets are there and it kind of works that the good part is what comes with that though too is there is not um and you should check it out if you haven't there's there's a massive exit 111 like fan page on facebook and they still post like every day to this day totally yeah the coolest part of exit 111 is i don't know that there was a single person that walked away from that festival that didn't have a good time right so it was an, it was an amazing yeah time. Everybody that's there had people love and time. it was a super good time considering it was that like weird anomaly where this like cold storm came through and like you know we we're watching Def Leppard there's a video out there that they did that you should go watch too it's Def Leppard's coldest uh show to date that they had ever done <laughs> and actually performed live they were like their hands were like freezing by the end of it and all this stuff so again the cool part is it didn't perform and that's just the things that happen and, and one of the and when those happen is like a lot of people are out there saying 
you know, oh, I think it'll come back. Oh, it'll never come back. And it's like none of them have a clue. And I actually kind of like that they don't have wow. a clue. That's kind of a mystique. So never say never on that festival and brand. There, There's definitely a conversation to be had there. But um, also COVID got in the way of a lot of those those conversations to continue as well. So, yeah. So but you canceled. Uh, you, you can say, oh, yeah, we canceled before COVID. We canceled. There you go. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Cool. Yeah, exactly. COVID didn't cancel us. We that's, canceled ourselves, that's the, right? The shittiest yeah. thing I could say. I'm sorry. No, it's all good. Uh, uh, man, that, that's, it's so enlightening to hear you talk about these things um, just because it, it's um, it, as an artist getting to these festivals can be like pretty harrowing. But the in and outs that you had there of uh, just the, the routings and stuff like that, because you can have a band that's on a tour routing that's supposed to, you know, they, they played Oklahoma City the night before and they're supposed to uh, be in San Antonio by one o'clock p.m. for their set you know what I mean and so you, not only do you have to load out after your Oklahoma City show and drive all the you know nine hours to San Antonio when you even get to the festival you got to wait in three hours of traffic to even find your parking place and like nobody knows where you're supposed to park uh, even like the festival promoters like they or I mean, I mean uh, the you know the, the parking attendants and stuff they're like I don't know like it's just there's no communication it seems like at, at uh, a lot of festivals but um, with exit 111 it was very cut and dry and uh, easy to get in and out of. I appreciated that. Yeah. Uh, but one thing that was funny was uh, the the artist sort of camping area. We were the only band that showed up early uh, <laughs> because we had played Little Rock the night before, and we were like, let's just like I know I know how hard it can be to get into these things. Let's just go there the night before. That way we can just wake up and play our whatever two p.m. set. You know, and uh, have no stress. So we get there the night before, and yeah, like nobody knew who we were, what was going on. It was hilarious, and like I remember, people on the uh, the radios were squawking back and forth at each other, and and the the radio conversation that was going on with all the security guards backstage was nuts. Like we pulled up, we asked this lady, it's like, hey, we're, uh, we're the Kyle Shut Band, we're just looking for the the artist camping area. Uh, it was pitch black out there in the middle of the woods, and then she gets on the radio and she's like, hey, I've got a, a young man here looking for the artist camping. And then the next thing was like, <laughs> someone's like, this raccoon is attacking me. Like, he's like that's not a raccoon, that's a skunk. <laughs> Where, where's my battery? My radio's dying. And then somebody comes in and they go, the artist camping is on uh, 4th Avenue. And I said, where's 4th Avenue? And she goes, where's 4th Avenue? And the radio goes, it's between 3rd and 5th. <laughs> <laughs> the absolute, that, that, perf, that personifies the, the absolute joys of doing a festival in nowhere, Tennessee. You know, I oh, mean, man. I mean, it great. yeah, it's Manchester, Tennessee is a fun place, but it's technically exit 111 in the middle of nowhere, you know, so uh, <laughs> there's it gets pretty dark and pretty pitch black out there. So I feel you, you know, hey, hey going, we, had, we had fun going back to what you said, which is hilarious. And I re- again, thank you for the logistical compliment. But I saw a meme the other day that was talking about how, you know, if the way this vaccine rollout is going is if they really would have just left it to the music industry and some festival promoters, I think everybody <laughs> in the world would have it by now. And, you know, there's some there's some sarcasm there, but there's also not like it's funny. It's funny where it's like, leave it to us. And it's just like at the end of the day, if someone's like, what do you do? It's like I do logistics. You know, that's kind of what it is. Yeah. 
music industry is a crack team of yeah logisticians is that a word i don't know but yeah uh, the numbers people like whenever the the election drama was going on they were like just let all the out of work merch people count the ballots we'll have it done by you know midnight and we'll be partying you know at no time you know it's, it's true like, <laughs> like that's exactly there's so many resources they could have utilized i was gonna uh, say run, run them all through the bonnaroo site if we can if we can get uh fifty thousand cars through there in 24 hours we can certainly do it with vaccines you know so absolutely what um uh sorry i was gonna ask no you're fine uh, about um trying trying to plan for camping out at bonnaroo is that added kind of logistical things is that that much more work or it was already pretty much set up for you because you know like shaking ease and stuff it's all like city festivals yep and things like that but when you add that entire like tent city aspect to it um is that much more work or is it it was a pretty cut and dry yeah it's more work but you're hiring more people right so it's you know you can't there's a lot of festivals that i produce and work with where a lot of jobs overlap and one of those jobs that doesn't overlap is camping and it's pretty crucial because it really what it comes down to most people do it is that's when it really says you know a lot of people are like oh you're really setting up a city that's what bonnaroo is it's setting up a city because when it comes to camping you're 24 7 to your point shaky knees whatever other city festival it is it's like yeah there's people out there all the time but you're turning it on at 11 a.m and you're turning it off at 10 Uh p.m whereas like you know whether it's exit 111 bonnaroo any camping festival it's 24 7 so you're really just you can't you know it is more work and it takes a little longer but you're you know you're just hiring more people to to handle more areas and they're they're that much more sensitive to you know they have they they have to be you know you got to go over it a few times for sure you can't just lay out a plan and go so man I miss festivals. I know. They were fun. I know, right? I mean, <laughs> I think a lot of people would say they miss <laughs> they miss Porta Johns these days. I, I don't know. There's not a person, friend, or acquaintance that I know that wouldn't say, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah." I'll go to the bathroom in a Porta John. Absolutely, if we hear that to a festival right now. Oh my god! I I just um, I don't know. Rock and roll. You know, it was one thing when we were all in our kind of you know, early mid twenties and stuff. Like you just do anything. You know, but the older you get, the the more kind of financial responsibilities you get. Once you start maybe having kids or this or that, you know, touring becomes tougher uh, and stuff like that. And especially like you know, just getting the getting the ship off the ground um, is is takes. It seems like it takes a lot more work than it used to. Uh, but uh, God, I, I miss it so much. I, I think that relates to yeah. I think that relates to what you guys do. There's another misnomer, right? Where it's like people don't know how much goes into a festival is people don't know how much goes into a band, right? Like when you're, when you're playing, when you're playing a bigger stage and you become a bigger act, there's a reason you have to hire a guitar tech. It's one thing when the sword's Mm -hmm. playing the Earl and you do load it in yourself and all that kind of stuff is one obvious from obvious reasons you're financially limited and stuff like that but then the other reason is the stage just isn't that big so there's like you can't you can't have these elements but the bigger it all gets it's like you know the monitor board isn't sitting on the side of the stage it's actually off the stage and down the way or there's a guy that's mm-hmm. like the sound system's so big that you can't just have the house guy mix it you got to have a guy that comes with you because your sound goes off so it's like i i 
I try to to break down that barrier all the time that people believe they're like, oh man, you know, the swords, you know, playing to fifteen hundred people in Atlanta at the masquerade, they must be like wealthy dudes. And it's like actually they're kind of making almost the same amount of money when they were playing three hundred because there's that much more of a team and there's that many more <laughs> employees on their payroll, right? You know, there's there's totally. No doubt. I mean, and even then, yeah, even then you have to. It just, every tour you kind of have to like look at the budget and pick and choose what you're going to take and like see how you spend your money. I mean, every band is different. Um, but that's why you see some bands when they, you know, are playing a 1500 seater venue and they pull up in a bus and you're like, well, there's, there's your guarantee right there. You know, I, I just know for a fact that like, you're not bringing in nearly a, nearly enough people to justify having this bus that, at, you know, even at the minimum will cost you $50,000 a month. Right. You know, it, right. that's to rent a shitty bus, you know, and, and stuff like that. So that's why we always chose, you know, as, as often as we could to hop in a van. Sometimes you have no choice. Sometimes you're doing a cross Canadian winter tour and uh, driving a van on a highway with two inches of ice on it just isn't an option, you know, and you, you just have to just kind of choose your battles there and stuff like that. Is, is the tour worth it? This and that. I mean, it, there's so much more that goes into booking tours. Did you find that, and, did you find that, even, did you find that even harder when you were going to Europe and having success in, in Europe as the sword and where you, you draw maybe two times as many people in some German city as you would in Atlanta. And then, but it's that, that much uh, harder that to get over there or what? No, actually I've, I've talked about this before on the podcast. Um, the sword, didn't really have that kind of European experience. We our our shows were good, but I wouldn't say they were better than the U.S. Like we we still played you know mid sized clubs and uh, and some festivals and stuff. But as uh, the expense of being over there was so much more because sometimes you you had to have a bus. Like just doing it in a, in a little Sprinter van just wasn't an option because of the weather or the, yeah like the time of year or the the kinds of. The, the, the tour routing that you had or, or you're, yeah, or you're literally taking a three hour drive but you're going to a different country right where it's like you take yeah, you yeah. take a three uh-huh. hour drive in the states and it's like the rules for a band from tennessee to georgia really aren't that different but the rules from right. you know germany to austria could be completely different on how they do their taxes or what they let in totally. or all and that kind of the, stuff. the carnets too uh, on rented gear because you have to rent all your gear when you're over there unless you you know a band that'll let you borrow some or you share a share a bus or a van with a band that they're letting you share their gear or the, there's a million different ways to look at it but these are uh, the carnets the taxes you have to pay to actually bring your gear into another country to make income and then the the tax situation that the promoter has to sign over to like pay your taxes out of their cut or it's, it's dude it's it's absolutely crazy i bet i can't believe we did it for so long <laughs> Right. It was a long time. I mean, like the we're looking at uh, 15 years since Age of Winners came out uh, in two weeks. That's just crazy. Let's let's be honest. And every musician or anybody who's ever been in the music industry, there's got to be just a hair of crazy. You know, there's just a little bit of crazy to pull off what you're trying to pull off. You know, a lot of crazy. We're nuts. We're all fucking crazy. But uh, man, Tim, thanks so much for being on the program. I I hope. I mean, I'm positive everyone's going to get a lot of insight out of this and i just i really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to uh, to just shine a little light on that because it's something that not a lot of people think about you know um so 
just thanks for being you, man. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. Rock fucking on and, uh, you know. Yeah. Like, what else uh, What else you got cooking? Are you, is there anything you can talk about or is it all just sort of up in the air right now because of the pandemic? Yeah. I mean, look, I, it's there's going to be we're trying our best as a company and stuff to, to get off some of these festivals in the fall. I mean, as we sit here, it's mid-January and it's like we're bullish and hopeful in the fall. But, you know, who's who knows what the summer will hold. But, you know, yeah. 2022, I plan to put up a couple new festivals and expand a couple of the brands that are out there and stuff like that. So, um, it'll certainly be fun and it'll certainly be a lot busier than it is now. That's for sure. So awesome. Well, thanks so much, bud. Yeah, man. Thank you. Please don't stop. Please don't stop. (laughs) (laughs) And I won't. Thanks so much for tuning into the highway this week. A big shout out to Reverend Guitars, Railhammer Pickups, and Earthquaker Devices. If you liked what you heard, you can follow where you can follow, subscribe where you can subscribe, and if you want to go one step further, you can support us on Patreon at The Highway with Kyle Shutt. For a few bucks a month, you can help us keep this party going, get early access to next week's episode, and even get yourself a shout out. <laughs>